I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Seriously, the podcast from the New Statesman that takes pop culture seriously. I'm Caroline Crampton. And I'm Anna Leskovich. This week, we're talking about the fifth Pirates of the Caribbean film and the BBC drama Three Girls. We've also watched the Channel 4 comedy Loaded, so we'll be talking about how that went later in the show. Hello. Hello. Welcome back to another episode of Seriously. We're nearly in June. Summer's nearly begun. And you know what that means, Caroline. It's a summer of Seriously. <laughs> it is indeed. So we have lots of exciting plans this summer that we're really excited to share with you. The first thing is that we have just been confirmed as part of the lineup for the London Podcast Festival. Yay, which is in King's Place, isn't it? It's going to be very exciting. It's King's Place, just by King's Cross in London. The 17th of September, we're going to be doing a live episode, which is something we've never done before. We're hoping to have some cool special guests, answer lots of your questions, generally have a great pop culture time. Yeah. And tickets for that are going on sale on Thursday, June the 1st at midday. Snap them up, guys. We've got loads of other cool things coming up this summer as well, including all our usually scheduled Seriously quizzes at the book club in Shoreditch. So do go to seriouslypod.com slash events to find out more. The other thing we wanted to flag up is that The Handmaid's Tale is now available to viewers in the UK. You can watch it legally. I'm you... sure none of you are watching it illegally. So... I most certainly wasn't. No, so now you... now's your chance. So it's on Channel 4 on Sunday nights, the first episode aired Sunday just gone. We're not going to talk about it for a few weeks because we already talked about it on episode 91 when it launched in the US. So if you would like to hear our thoughts on The Handmaid's Tale the one that stars Elizabeth Moss, Alexis Bledel, etc. You need to go back and find that episode. And maybe we'll revisit in the future. Who knows, seriously, fans. And now on with the emails. We have a really great one from Amy responding to our discussion of Kimmy Schmidt last week. She says, I started watching it and initially loved it, but honestly couldn't make it past the first season, partly because there are too many things to watch, partly because I flip so much between finding it hilarious, thank you Titus, and getting increasingly uncomfortable about the minor extra characters. Which is interesting because I'm not sure I would think of Kimmy Schmidt as a massive ensemble drama like that, mm. but I suppose there are probably six to eight sort of less important characters who get little skits. That said, I have watched the Lemonading episode and it made up for a lot. My office are also obsessed with Pinot Noir and know the <laughs> lyrics to the song We Aren't Ashamed. And then she puts a, a gif of Titus like throwing off his jacket and going Pinot Noir really loudly, which was right. excellent. Thanks, Amy. I definitely share your reservations 
about the show like mm-hmm. having unequivocally loved it in its first and second series i think it's slightly gone off the boil although interestingly our colleague kate mossman who is a kimmy schmidt obsessive told me that she thinks the last four episodes of series three she's binged the whole thing already are like top quality again oh do you think we can just like skip skip to that yeah i was planning on asking her if she could give me some time stamps that would be great (laughs) the first thing we're going to talk about this week is pirates of the caribbean salazar's revenge a film that is also known as Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales, <laughs> just to be confusing. It's the fifth instalment in the Pirates of the Caribbean film series, which began in 2003 with the unexpected blockbuster and critical success, The Curse of the Black Pearl. Oh my god, wanna feel old. I know. Incidentally, I'm not sure I was massively aware of this, but that film was originally based on a pirate-themed ride at the Disney theme park. Yeah, parks. of course. For this one, new cast members Brenton Thwaites, Kaya Scodelario and Javier Bardem join old hands Johnny Depp, Jeffrey Rush and Kevin McNally which also features cameos by Orlando Bloom and Kira Knightley. The pirates had infected the seas for generations, so I vowed to eliminate them all. Then there was this boy, Jack Sparrow. I will have my revenge. An army of dead are coming straight for you, Jack. Pirates life. There's nowhere to hide. How do they do this? Whoa. So some seriously listeners may already know that as an 11 year old, I think I was 11 in 2003, I fell in love with that Pirates movie and it sparked a many years long obsession with lead actor Johnny Depp that ended in kind of shame and despair. (laughs) So this is so interesting because I was going to ask you where Pirates of the Caribbean was on your Johnny Depp timeline yeah i I didn't realize it was right at the beginning the beginning yeah year six primary school watched it absolutely loved it i still think i probably know every word of that script off by heart and i do think the first pirates of the caribbean movie is a great movie a really great movie really is i was actually thinking about it a lot as i was watching this one yeah and thinking about how much flabbier the script is in comparison to that one how much title the action sequences were how Mm. in that first film even like minor characters who only get maybe three or four lines just felt a lot more fully realized and had better gags yeah Yeah. exactly it was really funny and I think the action was really funny it was a really great example of just like how choreographed action can be really hilarious this movie is the fifth in this franchise so they've been I feel like kind of quietly bubbling along because Mm. although there was a lot of fanfare for two and I remember a lot of fanfare for three as well and I saw both of those in the cinema and was still like really keen on the whole affair four like passed me by and I'm like someone who tends to know about this kind of stuff I'm not sure I've seen four I haven't seen four is it the one where Orlando Bloom becomes the Davy? No, no, no. You've seen that one. That's I think. three. You just don't remember. Yeah, exactly. It's really an. I, I, Orlando Bloom and Kira Knightley weren't in the last movie at all. Okay, in which case I, I have not seen it and I yeah. don't know what happens. I went to see this movie with Office Pirates of the Caribbean fan Pauline, who is our social media editor, and she filled in some of the gaps for me. Okay, um, but I think basically four is a standalone movie. But if you were like an excited member of the Pirates of the Caribbean fandom, you'd be excited for this movie because the third movie was set 10 years and mate, was it really, it surely presumably wasn't, maybe it was released in 2007. I don't know. Seems like so long ago, but it's narratively, at least it's a 10 year gap between the very opening scene of this movie 
mm-hmm. which features like tiny Orlando Bloom's son and the, and the third movie with Orlando. It's complicated. You can tell by my rambling it's complicated, but basically you would be excited that uh, Elizabeth Swan and William, whatever his name is, Turner, Turner are being reunited in this movie because it has kind of narrative import as well as nostalgic import. So the fourth one is a bit like the most recent Star Wars film in that it kind of operates in the same universe but doesn't continue the same linear narrative. Mm, I guess so, yeah. Okay. I'm not that I'm a Star Wars person, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh my God. So I guess we should probably get on to like the plot of this movie at some point. Well, the plot insofar as I could probably summarise it involves actually a trope that we remember from the first Pirates of the Caribbean film, which is a crew of sailors being cursed by something, mm-hmm. becoming kind of undead piratey people who can like walk on water and can't be killed. This is Javier Bardem's, he plays the pirate it, well, no, he's like a pirate hunter, isn't he? He's not a pirate. Yeah, he was a he was like a Commodore Norrington kind of yes. figure for the Empire, who like hated pirates because his dad was murdered by a pirate. I think like Pirates of the Caribbean, like all prestige TV, <laughs> obsessed with dads. Yes, I was thinking this the whole time. That it's, <laughs> oh my god, calm down, people. Pirates of the Caribbean is just daddy issues. Yeah, nonstop. Literally. Every single character, every single male character, of which most of them, yeah, and are. female. Yeah, that's true, actually. Elizabeth has father And Kaya Scholarad in this movie has a massive obsession with her Yeah, that's with true, actually. Everyone is searching for their father and believes that their father will imbue them with a new sense of their own identity. Yeah. But also it's just a really like helpful narrative device to like have them all on a quest. But yeah, so Javier Bardem's character Salazar, he was a kind of pirate hunter, then he got cursed, and now everyone <laughs> on his ship is a kind of... <laughs> zombie sailor man (laughs) you seem confused how long ago did you see this movie it was last night right i think that (laughs) reveals to seriously listeners a little bit about how all over the place the plot of this movie is yeah so anyway he is search so they're all searching for this thing called poseidon's trident which can quote break all curses at sea Um, but they're all searching for it for different reasons. So it breaks all curses. It's like control alt delete yes. for the sea. <laughs> Just reset, factory reset. Yes. So um Salazar wants it so he can stop being undead. Mm-hmm. Um uh Henry Turner, like baby Orlando Bloom, wants, wants to free his dad. Wants to free his dad, who, lest we forget from Pirates of the Caribbean 3, is the captain of the Flying Dutchman and has got barnacles growing on his face. Yeah, and he's only allowed out of his like weird hell ship once every 10 years and then he has to go back and just continue, I don't know, looking after the dead. Yeah. Karina Smith, who's Caius Scodelario's character, wants it. Why exactly? Why does she want she it? She wants it. Uh, I don't know. Oh, no, she, <laughs> oh, that's right. She's got a kind of... She th- she's got this map that was left to her by her father when she was left on the doorstep of a children's home. She just home. wants that. She just wants to follow the map because she believes it will tell her where the father is. She's not bothered about the trident thing. Yeah. So they all. But she thinks her dad's dead, right? She's not yeah. actually like interested in saving him from yeah. anything. She's just like she wants to learn more about him. Yeah. And thereby learn who she herself is. Mm-hmm. Jack Sparrow, played by Johnny Depp, on autopilot. On autopilot. <laughs> Possibly asleep for some of it. Mm. He just wants the trident, I think, because other people want it, right? He's not himself cursed. Uh, Yeah, well, he seems 
the beginning again it's like a real stretch isn't it because they're like okay we need to give like jack some motivations here so he they like make his crew who are like super loyal supposedly be like oh you haven't earned us any money so we're leaving you forever and you're like why were you with him if money was the objective like <laughs> like why weren't you with jeffrey rush and his boat i thought it was because you like loved him but anyway whatever they abandoned him and then he's like trying to he's also like been arrested by the empire as usual and he's like i think just trying to like prove himself to people again yeah and also isn't salazar chasing him he's yeah salazar's yeah. after him salazar's so i guess like- if they if they break his curse then they're not then after him anymore so i guess that's kind of his motivation so they're all they after no this revenge they're all after this trident thing your standard Pirates of the Caribbean hijinks ensue, like people on boats swinging on ropes. Yeah, but and it's really standard. Like yeah. it is a repeat of the first, I would say, movie, yeah. just worse. There were some things about it that stood out to me that I liked. One was Javier Bardem's hair. <laughs> his his curse. He's got like long flowing black hair in this. Yeah, he's like underwater all the time. Yes, it looks like he's underwater even when he's not, and his mm-hmm. hair like follows him around like a cloud in a way that I associate with the mer people in Harry Potter. Yes. Which, nice. Uh, so I really liked that. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed watching his hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to think, what else did Any I Any others? Like? <laughs> oh, I really The enjoy- monkey? Oh, I like the monkey. The monkey reprises his role as monkey. As monkey. Yeah, that great <laughs> actor, monkey. I really enjoyed all of the like really really sort of heavy-handed because this is supposed to be set in like the 18th century right everyone has like 15th century attitudes to women who can do maths so (laughs) Karina Smith is just constantly being accused of being a witch and being locked up yeah because she the only evidence we see for this is that seen the stars she is interested in astronomy she can use a telescope and at one point she like scratches some maths on the wall of a cell but yeah so i really enjoyed all of the like people in soldier uniform shouting witch and running after her though i will say there has been a lot of fanfare i feel from the pr people about this being like a feminist character i knew there would and no there isn't yeah can we just kill that she's not she's she's and also for a start like the elizabeth swan character in the first movie is is a very similar sort of role where she's like i don't like wearing this corset i can do things like be at sea um (laughs) and kind of laughably because she often kind of like makes mistakes but you know it's not it's not a super terribly regressive portrait of a woman it's not like super feminist either but mm. she's you know she's a woman who does things yeah so i for a start i don't think it's that different to the elizabeth swan character and secondly she's still just like mostly there like because she's like constantly objectified by mm-hmm. the other men and that like is used for humor and she is often like undressing and although she's doing it in a very like hang on this is the most practical thing to do i'm going for a swim i'm taking off this restraining garment it's still just like an opportunity for people around her to be like way legs or whatever i almost saw her ankles and then yeah. like i don't know i just find i struggle with this idea that she's a super feminist character just because she knows maths and, and yeah stuff. actually i put it in the same box because pirates of the caribbean is made by disney as the ferrari surrounding Belle from the live action Beauty and the Beast mm. being quote a feminist character yeah. now. Oh, it just it, it, when you like force something to have to reach to a label like that, you're kind of setting yourself up to fail. And it would be a lot better if they were like, we're going to do an interesting character rather than like we're going to do a feminist character. Yeah, it just <laughs> so yeah, Disney PR team, take note. Yeah, stop we, doing this. We see you. Stop it. Your point about uh, her character being very similar to Kira Knightley's, I think, is a good one though because. This film, for me, very much had the flavour of a franchise reboot in Mm. the guise of a sequel because Mm. they've, you know, got Henry 
Turner in the young Orlando Bloom role mm. and uh, Kaya's yeah, right. in the young Elizabeth Swan role. The, and but like they Jeffrey Rush and, and Johnny Depp's characters are at a similar impasse. And then like you've got this Salazar guy who could basically be like either Jeffrey Rush when he was cursed mm. or Davy Jones when he was cursed. Or like exactly. it's, the, it's the same. The plot is functioning in the same ways. Yes. But what's interesting to me is they didn't introduce a young Johnny Depp character. Well, you kind of get a flashback to a young Johnny Depp character, don't you? Where they've like photoshopped all the pores out of his face. Yeah, (laughs) you do. But it's not a it's not a passing the torch thing, is it? It's just a flashback. No. So if Pirates of the Caribbean is going to continue, does that mean Johnny Depp is going to do more of them? Yeah. And it just like gets progressively more uncomfortable. Like, for example, there, there wasn't in the first movie, there was a lot of like Johnny Depp lusts after Kira Knightley that you can just tell that that dynamic sort of should be what's happening in this film but it's too gross mm. so there's like one or two throwaway lines but like he's actually not really pursuing this kind of teenager because actually he's like what in his late 50s and it would Ugh. actually be all too much even for like hollywood yeah <laughs> um so it's like i don't know you're right there's this difficult thing and our colleague again pauline wrote a piece about how like pirates as a franchise is actually okay and like still has some humor to it and could conceivably continue to make quite fun action movies but they've got this problem of the kind of like weird aging character that they're not willing to do anything with and johnny Mm. depp as an actor is very much sort of on autopilot and like not really bringing what made that role exciting was that it was a performance that people hadn't really seen before and now it's so associated with him as an actor it feels quite tired and it just doesn't it's not really bringing anything to the franchise it's not lifting it particularly yeah i also don't think it's at all fair to place all of the blame for how vague and weird he is with the script because actually there are times when his character does get some half decent sharp lines and he delivers them in such a weird sort of nonsensey way that mm. you almost miss them mm. and he gets you know that action sequence at the beginning they're trying to steal a safe from the bank and they end up stealing the entire bank i think could have been quite funny and even was in some places but he's just very very dreamy and not in a good way. Also, I, I do believe that a lot of the action scenes are like repeats. Like there's this whole thing at the beginning, just after that bank thing you're describing, where it's like Johnny Depp is going to get executed. And so mm. um, oh, yeah, yeah. that's Karina a- Smith. And like that's like a direct replica almost of just with like different ways of dying than the like hanging scene from the opening ish mm. of the... Is it the opening or is it maybe like the climax? I can't remember. But well, it, repeat, the... it repeats, doesn't it, in the first film? So Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So the very opening of Curse of Black Pearl is Jack Sparrow escaping from being hanged. And then... Yeah, and Elizabeth is all hot in her corset yeah, and fanning herself. Exactly. Yeah. And so what's actually quite structurally brilliant about that is that then you have all of these advent- like two hours of adventures and then and you, you come, come back, back to the exact same place. And yeah, exact and it's same kind thing. of farcical, but mm. in this it's just feels like bad deja vu <laughs> yeah so i think what we're saying is don't go see it don't go see it don't instead spend your money on it don't and yeah don't fund this actor instead just watch maybe just watch the dvd you already have of the first film yeah
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The next thing we're going to talk about is Three Girls, an unflinching BBC drama based on the 2012 Rochdale grooming case, which exposed and prosecuted nine men for the trafficking, prostitution and rape of children. It follows three of the victims of this paedophile ring, here named Holly, Amber and Ruby, and their struggle to bring the abuse to light. As you can tell, kind of a serious subject. So Mm. if any of those things feel like a bit much for you, then just tune on out and tune back into the recommends. There's no such thing as a child prostitute. What there is, is a child who's been abused. Nine men have been released on bail. How many victims? 47. And when they went to the police, nothing was done about it. No one bothered. What do you think that does to a kid? We treat them as human beings and we say we're sorry. This entire operation stands and falls on us being able to re-engage these girls. What is the point if a jury is not going to believe she's telling the truth? I watched her interviews and I believed her. Let's stop this, you and me. So yeah, it was three episodes aired over three consecutive nights last week. And we've both watched them all, right? Yes, I watched them all in a slightly bizarre circumstance, actually. I watched them on the train, downloaded on my phone. So I wouldn't recommend watching this in public. No. Because I got really upset in the first one. Yeah. And, you know, that wasn't a very nice place to be. But then, interesting, I watched the second two on my return train journey. And the woman who sat next to me watched the entire thing with me, even though she couldn't hear anything. Just looking over your shoulder. She was just looking over my shoulder. It's kind and of, like, I sometimes find myself doing that though, because it's kind of just like distracting and so you're like, mm-hmm. and, and I kind of so, sort of semi-acknowledged that she was doing it because, so I like moved the phone in between us so she could see as well. Did and, you put subtitles on? That would have been the real game. No, I couldn't work out how to do it. <laughs> I did try. 
very thoughtful. Even though she couldn't hear, obviously mm. she could definitely get the gist of what was happening. She was getting quite upset as well. Mm. So it was this strange, like slightly unacknowledged communal viewing experience. Mm. Well, I had a bit of a break also between the first and the second two in which my brain did a lot of like, wow, that was so intense. What are we gaining from watching this as mm. an audience? What aren't we gaining, you know? And I think there is a quite a stark difference between the first episode and the following two, because the first episode understandably attempts to set up the abuse that the three girls are experiencing so that in the later two episodes, we can go through all the kind of like procedures that happened in order to bring this case to court and all the things that didn't happen and all the times the victims were ignored when they tried to speak to the authorities about it. So that means the first episode is very much about like how three normal girls got involved in this group of people and how they were groomed and how the abuse started to occur and that means that that first episode is really violent and is really sad and difficult to watch it is and i think yeah by the time you've watched all three for me anyway i felt like that portrayal was justified Mm -hmm. because having seen it so unflinchingly and also so kind of from the perspective of the girls almost meant that then when they were documenting all of the miscarriages of justice and all of the times that the girls were ignored or dismissed you felt it more keenly because you understood the scale of the offense Mm. involved so I decided that narratively it was played out but I I did feel at the end of the first one I was like is this titillating is you know why why are we seeing like rape scenes in detail that kind of thing yeah for yeah for me the my worry wasn't is it titillating it was just more like is it sensational Mm. is it so is it so horrible it's you know one of those things where it's like you can't look away and I do think about when you walk into a Waterstones or bookshop there's a whole section in one where I used to work in the Gloucester Waterstones that was called like it wasn't called true crime it was called like true stories or something Mm. and it was and it was all like the faces of kids on the covers of these books just like in anguish with titles like no daddy please don't and you're like okay this is not like I don't think it's titillating for anybody but it's doing something else that is also almost fetishistic in a very weird way and I don't quite know what it is and that was my worry with this and I wrote a piece about it which I'm sure we'll put in the show notes but I I agree I do think it's definitely justified and I think one of the ways the BBC went about this that was really in a really good way was that you can read a blog post by Hilary Salmon who's the BBC's head of drama Mm. and about how they justified it to themselves when they were like thinking about making this program because obviously it's complicated not just because it's sensitive but because it's real people in real lives yeah absolutely And they said, you know, the best documentaries or the best docudramas are ones that set out to change opinion. And they were like, from the beginning, we wanted to make audiences aware that these were three very normal girls, that they weren't at fault in any way and that they were dismissed and not heard because they were working class and basically explore that dynamic and try and bring their voices to the screen and make people aware of that element of it. Because this is a particularly controversial case in the UK because the nine men who were prosecuted, I think eight of the nine were um, of like Pakistani descent, which meant that it was sort of a gift to Islamophobic tabloids who wanted to say like, look, this culture is poisonous and infecting the UK and we need to kind of get rid of it. And even some of the coverage of this programme has been in that light 
But I think what this program does really well is says, well, first and foremost, the problem is that these were working class teenage girls and no one wanted to listen to working class teenage girls. And I think that's a really important message. Yeah. And I did think as well that they reflected the racial dynamics of it very well in the program. There's the scenes where the girls are arriving at court to give their testimony and there's this big, horrible demonstration, like BNP demonstration Mm. outside. And, you know, they're having to deal with that on top of the fact that they're, you know, there to expose the horror that happened to them in a public forum. Yeah. And someone shouts a racist slur, don't they, at at one of the lawyers working on the case, just because he looks like he's of Asian descent as well. And yet you get this great moment where the guy is like, or in fact, I think one of his underlings sort of shouts back, actually, you know, he's working on the case and repeats the slur back. And then the guy's like, thanks so much for that, but never call me that ever again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, that was really interesting. And then late, I think it's in the third episode, it's after the you know news of the convictions and stuff, you get this scene set in a Rochdale community forum where British Pakistanis who live there, who were, of course, in no way involved in what happened, are angrily telling how it's affected their lives and their businesses. Mm-hmm. And they're saying like, you know, I'm a cab driver and like literally no one will book me now and all this kind of thing. And then a, a woman also of Asian descent gets up and says, yes, this, this is difficult for all of us, but until we treat the attitudes that make men treat young women like this. Yeah, until this we is... address the misogyny. Yeah, and she, yeah. so she kind of takes it out of the, the racial context or adds the extra dimension that, yeah, maybe there are racial dynamics at play, but far more importantly, it was older men preying on defenceless younger women in the full knowledge that they were the kind of girls who could be groomed mm-hmm. and who no one would believe. Yeah. So I think it's a really great show. I would just I I would always be like, you know, if this, this is the kind of thing that might upset you disproportionately, then be yeah, have some awareness of that before you go into the very first episode. There are a couple of very short flashbacks to the the rape scene in the second episode as well, but those final two episodes are a really great exploration of just like where it all went wrong mm. and how hopefully we can prevent that kind of thing from going dismissed again. And it's very educational as well. I mean, just in terms of the like the judicial proceedings and what happened, because I felt like I knew about the Rochdale mm. case. I knew, for instance, that Andrew Norfolk, a journalist at the Times, had done really amazing work you know bringing the police failings to light that caused them to you know reopen the case and get a lot of prosecutions and stuff exactly but there were so many details even though this is a drama it's not explicitly a documentary there were so many factual details that I learned about the failings and how they you know how there are things that still haven't been resolved or remedied yeah because of this you're so right because it could have very easily been a drama like an almost like crime Mm. like a compelling crime drama following like journalist andrew norfolk trying to like bring these horrible crimes to light and instead they really focus apart from on the three victims who very much are the voice of the whole thing these two women who also went dismissed and ignored by their colleagues one an nhs social worker and one a police officer trying to you know make sure that these girls are listened to and particularly maxine peaks that social worker you really just it's an incredible story and she's been giving interviews the real social worker yeah apparently she was on first dates no way i heard apparently last week she was on first dates kidding i saw this on twitter i haven't watched it i'm gonna go and look it up and i would urge listeners to do this too i saw lots of tweets about this saying that she was on first dates um, and there was such a massive like 
outpouring of, of support. support and love for her. Like people are now calling for her to get an OBE. Like yeah, because you know. she was she was made redundant after all this yeah. had happened. She was ignored. Like she collected this massive dossier on everything that happened. You know, it's shown in the show, and I'm sure this is right. They wouldn't show this if it wasn't true. When the Greater Manchester Police get involved in a more sophisticated investigation is done. She turns over eventually all of her evidence to them and it's three filing cabinets worth. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, she's been doing all of her work properly. Everyone was ignoring her. And yeah, her the thanks that she got. I mean, you know, she finally, she did help the girls that she wanted to originally, but she got made redundant from her job. And before that, she was told never to get involved in anything like this again. Mm. Yeah, it's really shocking. I can't believe she was... I was, like, listening to her give interviews on, like, Five Live and stuff, but I had no idea she was on that, so... Yeah, I'm going to dig, dig it out and link to it, because cool. apparently it's excellent. So last week, via a listener recommend, we decided to watch Loaded on, I would say 4AD, but it's rebranded as all four, Channel 4's video service in the UK. So Loaded, the setup is four guys who have made an app that is a cat-based video game for your phone. They've managed to sell their company. They're still working on it, but it's got a new owner and it means that they've all got suddenly 14 million in the bank. Goes from there, really, and explores what actually happens when you get a windfall like that. And it's a comedy. It is a comedy. And it also stars Samuel Anderson from The History Boys, who I have long thought was very lovely. Super handsome. Uh, So that was exciting. Three slightly less handsome men. Sorry, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I remember the, the listener who originally recommended this said that, you know, it's had a mixed critical response. A lot of the negative reviews have focused on the fact that all of the characters are dickheads. Yeah. And that is definitely something you have to be aware of going into this. If you don't find bro-y humour particularly funny, yeah. this probably isn't the show for you. That's true. Definitely true. I'm sort of on the fence about it. I did enjoy parts of it. I enjoyed some of the satire of like startup culture. Yeah, I thought you as a Silicon Valley fan mm. would be quite into this. Yeah, so I did like some of it. I didn't like it nearly as much as I like Silicon Valley because it wasn't weird enough. Uh, well, I was kind of half expecting like that guy, you know, the guy, there's, so there's kind of like a nerdier, weedier looking mm. guy who's not allowed on the posters and stuff because they don't think that he's like attractive enough to represent the brand i was half expecting him at some point to just be like but it's my algorithm (laughs) like in the guy in silicon valley but i guess maybe that sort of setup is where the tonal similarities end yeah so they're much more like four british lads Mm. who've worked really hard on this game called cat factory and finally made it good and so some of the stuff about you know the stuff they all choose to do with their money is quite funny one of the like cautious one of the group buys a new pair of jeans and tries to buy his ex a nice lunch in yeah. the hope that she'll get back with him. <laughs> Samuel Anderson's character buys a Ferrari and 
a massive house. You can get the picture from everything that Caroline's mm. saying and they are kind of like, they're either doing like ridiculously selfish things or they're doing like generous things purely to seem nice and yeah. not because they actually really want to go follow through with any of it. I think for me, one of the things that I struggle with slightly is that most British comedies, and I think all good comedies, invite you to laugh at the characters, but then also like kind of have a bit of pity for them. I yeah. think British comedies always want you to kind of like feel a bit sorry for the loser that you're laughing at most of the time. And it's very hard to feel sorry for people with 14 million in the bank. And there's all this like dialogue about that, about like how people hate rich people and how like they've got to stick together because they're the only people that understand each other. Now they're all rich. And like someone even says something like, I'm just thinking about all the terrible things I've ever thought about. Lovely man, Chris Martin. <laughs> yes. It's that kind of humor. And, and although it's very funny, there's part of me that's just like, yeah, I just don't feel anything for you characters because A, you're all terrible and B, you're all really, really fortunate. So mm -hmm. I don't feel sorry for you in any way. <laughs> yes. That said, I did laugh quite hard at the sort of running conceit through the show, which is that they've hired a barbershop quartet to sing fuck you mm. in a complicated arrangement to anyone who ever doubted them or like the bank manager who wouldn't give them a loan early on and stuff mm. i did find that really funny for people who watch this and really enjoy it i would recommend white gold which mm. is currently on iplayer which is damon beasley of the inbetweeners new show which is a similar thing about like men behaving badly sudden amounts of money that they don't know how to cope with uh, but i think it does slightly better at like making them seem very pathetic <laughs> uh, essentially so you're you're never like wow this life looks good you're always a bit like these guys just don't know what they're doing and this is all hollow and terrible yes i think we have similarly mixed feelings about this but you know it's not an unpleasant way to spend an hour if you want to try something new no so for next week, we're also going to have a go at a listener recommend. Suddenly, I've noticed an increasing number of people using the submission form on our website to send oh, us stuff. Oh, guys, you know how to make us happy. It's exciting because I've never like made a form on a website before and I did <laughs> not know that it worked. So thank you. Mariana has got in touch to firstly say, I, I love this. I, she just wants to say that she loves the podcast. A friend from work recommended and now we have weekly debriefs. We're currently convincing everyone in the office to join our Seriously Addiction. Oh. Oh, please do. Please become a gang. Can we get jackets? Thanks. <laughs> That's lovely. <laughs> and then she says, you might have heard of this show because it was released in 2016 on Channel 4. It's called Flowers. We have heard a lot about this show, haven't we? We've had a lot of listeners email in recommending it. We have indeed. So it stars Olivia Coleman and Julian Barrett. It's a dark comedy about a dysfunctional family. Mariana says she'd love to hear thoughts on it since I feel quite lonely in this quirky obsession. Loads of people recommended. I remember when it was on at the time, we had, we had all good intentions to watch it. We didn't but i guess as we've just done an, an all four thing we'll just power straight on through and yeah tackle I've, it next week i've worked out how to sign up for the app now so i might oh, as good. well i also think uh this is a really boring nerdy uh british culture chat they've improved their terrible site yes <laughs> it's still so terrible much. but it is improved like you now no longer have to sit through four minutes of adverts before the program even plays which always with that player meant that you would like sit there the four adverts would load perfectly you would sit mm. through four and a half minutes and then the show just would not load and you'd have to refresh the page and do the whole process again and it was like absolutely infuriating yes and they have improved that slightly my consumption of channel four shows like went Dropped off, off a completely. cliff when that stupid website came exactly in. so maybe that's part partially to blame for our slow uptake on flowers but as they have slightly improved the website we will power on through mm -hmm. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. If you enjoyed the show, why not subscribe to make sure you never miss another episode? We're available in all the usual places you get podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, where you can also leave us a review if you would like. We've got lots of events coming up this summer, including festivals, live episodes and quizzes. Find out more and buy tickets at seriouslypod.com slash events. We're available many other places on the internet, including on Twitter, Facebook and Tumblr. We're SeriouslyPod on all of them. We love getting your recommendations for things we should feature on the show or just hearing your thoughts on what we've discussed. Get in touch on social media or email us on seriouslypod at gmail.com. And if you feel strongly that more pop culture needs to be taken seriously, spread the word and tell your friends and family about the podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, y'all. Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Discover South Carolina.